This is CSSE's Centenary Podcast. Hello, Headley. It's nice to have you back on the CSSE Centenary Podcast. Nice to be with you today. How are you doing? I'm very well, John. Thank you very much for allowing me to, to join you. Great stuff. So with Founders Day Fast Approach, we wanted to ask you to talk about the early history of CSSE, please. I'd be delighted to. Um, it's a very interesting history of early years. So you know, I'll start by saying that the story of the Civil Service Sports Council began with a small number of individuals who had the vision and the courage of their convictions to pursue a notion whose time had come. I'll just give you a bit of a brief insight into those individuals who made a real difference in trying to bring the organisation alive. The first is Richard Cox, who's described in the early journals as the right person in the right place at the right time. As the incoming editor of The Civilian, which was a weekly magazine for all civil servants, Richard perceived an urgent need for a departmental-wide sports body and penned an open letter on the 18th of June 1921, outline a very persuasive case for an idea whose time had come. His timing was impeccable and there was popular backing for the notion of a civil service sports association. This culminated in the inaugural meeting at Central Hall, Westminster, on the 4th of November 1921, where around 70 different sports associations came together to give their support to this idea that Richard Cox had initiated. But there were other key visionaries at that stage. The next one was Charles Howard. He was a post office employee, and he'd been toiling away for some time to try and galvanise his fellow workers into forming an umbrella social and sporting organisation. He had, though, faced an uphill struggle. There was no interest across the post office. But despite this, Charles Howard, recognising Cox's open letter, that there was something far more reaching than his own, and he wasted no time in joining forces with Richard Cox. At the same time, George Barson, an inspector in the Insurance Commission, showed a great interest and he became heavily involved in Richard Cox's idea. And the other of the four founders was Noel Curtis Bennett, a keen cricketer and described as a workaholic in the Ministry of Health. Curtis Bennett was a passionate believer in civil service sport, tirelessly campaigning for the CSSC from its exemption in 1921. He was initially appointed as the honorary treasurer following the formation meeting, but he soon outgrew this post, ascending to vice chairman, where he wasted no time in carving out his vision for the CSSC. CB, as he was known, was a man of boundless energy, and he devoted a lot of his leisure time to travelling across the United Kingdom, promoting the virtues of the CSSC, along with his friend and colleague, George Barson. Our early journal suggests that his powers of persuasion were legendary, whether on the playing field, where men and women of all ranks were encouraged to mix amicably, or in the boardroom, or where royalty were charmed into shouldering the roles of president and patron. Finally, although not one of the founders, Sir Warren Fisher, who was a permanent secretary to the Treasury and the first ever holder of the head of the Home Civil Service, was extremely important. As soon as the CSSC was up and running, Fisher granted the use of two rooms at the Treasury 
its headquarters offices. It subsequently cajoled departments into providing financial support for the fledging venture. This appeal raised £600, dubbed the Warren Fisher Fund. It allowed Graham Barston and Noel Curtis Bennett to claim some much-needed recompense for their out-of-pocket expenses as they travelled around Great Britain, creating awareness of the CSSC. Fisher would remain the financial saver of the CSSC throughout the 1930s. He was extremely important to the well-being of the organisation. It's according to the early journals, it states that with, with less than a week to go before the inaugural meeting, the civilian, which Richard Cox was the editor, had worked itself into a frenzy, declaring the forthcoming proceedings to be a glorious opportunity that civil servants should not fail to grasp, or fear that such an opportunity would not arise again for many years. Over 70 associations filled Committee Room D at Central Hall, Westminster, on the evening of the 4th of November, 1921. The meeting was chaired by Sir Aubrey Simmons, a senior civil servant in the Ministry of Health. And two resolutions were put to that meeting and they, they got unanimous support from all in attendance. A message of support was also read out from His Royal Highness, the Duke of York. The meeting was intended to be free and open and in the interest of clarity. The conveners wanted to be very clear from the outside, outside that what, what they were not proposing, that they, they did not intend the central club or association to be run in interest of any section or sections. They did not want to interfere with the activities of any existing club or organisation. They certainly did not intend to force any cut and dried scheme on the service. Having laid out the ground rules, there was overriding support to form a central body, a civil service sports club that would do for the civil service sport what similar bodies have done for the armed forces. Moving on. In no time at all, Curtis Bennett wasted no time in setting the tone and direction of new central sports body, spelling out a mission statement of sorts in the civilian in early 1922. His overall message was one of unbounded enthusiasm, in which he sketched out his vision of the embryonic CSSC, its appeal to civil servants nationwide and the benefits of sport, not just to the individual, but also to their employer the state. In February 1922, Sir Aubrey Simmons presided over a meeting of representatives of all the civil service sports clubs convened to consider the proposed rules and constitution of the CSSC. It was agreed that the new body should be called the Civil Service Sports Council and that its chief objective should be to encourage and coordinate the pursuit of all forms of amateur sport throughout the civil service, working through a network of regions, areas and associations. In fact, the first general meeting of the CSSC was set for the 22nd of May 1922. In between times, the Provisional Council set about filling the key posts of the organisation. 
The Duke of York had been invited to be the president of the CSSC, which he accepted. Prime Minister of the day, David Lloyd George, and the permanent secretary to the Treasury, Warren Fisher, were elected vice presidents. And Curtis Bennett became honorary treasurer and Graham Barsom became honorary secretary. The civilian was adopted as the official organ of the CSSC and will continue for at least four or five years as the way that the CSSC promoted what it was doing, the results of events, adverts of forthcoming events. And this helped grow the organisation and grow the awareness of CSSC, not just in London, but across other areas where there was a civil service presence. Later that year, it was reported at a meeting that there had been tremendous enthusiasm for the Civil Service Sports Council, and already individual sports were forming themselves into associations. Athletics, swimming, chess, cricket, football and rugby, rowing, cycling, golf, men's and women's hockey, lawn tennis were all on board. But local associations were also being formed. There was a record at that early time of associations in Birmingham, Bristol, Leicester, Liverpool and Norwich. Such was the enthusiasm for this organisation. However, one of the early visions of the organisation was to have a network of sports grounds throughout the country, with London at its core. Shortly after the formation of CSSC, a ground committee was accordingly set the task of locating a suitable plot of land in the London environment for what would become the jewel in the council's crown. Initially, the thought was to have a sports ground at Eltham, but as more and more work was done on this, it became clear that this would happen at Chiswick. And the aim was to have the finest sports ground in, in England. And work continued for two or three years, leading up until the 20th of February 1926, when in front of a crowd of an estimated over 12,000 people, King George V opened the headquarters sports ground for the British Civil Service at Chiswick. And on that day, there was civil service sport against the armed forces, something that never ever happened before. And Chiswick would become the standard by which the CSSC would look to reach out to create more sports grounds across the United Kingdom. And in its history, it had as many as 75 sports grounds plus angling waters, plus sailing waters. Such was the desire to provide sports grounds across the civil service, reaching out as far as possible to all civil servants. At the meeting to form the CSSC, a letter was read out from His Royal Highness the Duke of York. And in that letter, he talked about the day when he thought the civil service that must possess much athletic prowess would play sport against its elder sisters, i.e. the armed forces. And this started in August 1922, when the civil service played its first ever representative match against the RAF at cricket. And according to the journals of that time, it, it shook the cricket world 
as the Civil Service beat the RAF by six wickets. Also at that time, Graham Parson had approved colours for the CSSC. The colours were navy blue, maroon and white. And these were the colours that were used in advertising, in team kits for civil service teams, in other publicity. But they were also colours that were built into a representative badge. Because it had been agreed that if you played in a representative team on at least three occasions, you would then receive a representative badge in recognition of your participation. And that badge included the Tudor crown approved by the Home Office. And initially, there was a range of blazers, scarves, etc., that members of the CSSC could buy. And they were available from one shop only in central London, Messrs John Wisdom and Company. And those of you amongst you who may be cricket enthusiasms would have heard of Wisdom's Almanac. This is the same Wisdom, but before they moved into the Almanac, John Wisdom had a sportswear company and shop in central London that were approved suppliers to King George V and the sole provider of CSSC blazers and other garments. So the, the early days were extremely interesting, as you can see, and I could enthusiastically go on and on and on. But that gives you some idea. We moved with tremendous enthusiasm in our first 10 years, and a lot of that was down to Noel Curtis Bennett, who, as I said initially, was a workaholic, had this passionate enthusiasm for all things CSSC. He drove through the creation of many associations, whether it be for sport, whether it be within departments, whether it be locally in towns and cities across the United Kingdom. And by the end of the first 10 years, the organisation was quite settled. It had a network of associations and clubs, whether it be as far away as Scotland in Glasgow, down into the southwest. In London, there was an abundance of clubs. Some of the more prestigious at that time was the Natural History Museum, the Civil Service Football Club, who, were, who to this day still exist and are the sole surviving club from the 11 clubs that met on the 18th of October 1863 to form the Football Association. Another club that was there at the formation meeting was the Civil Service Rugby Football Club. They still exist to this day. And they were one of the 21 clubs that met in 1871 at the Pall Mall restaurant in Regent Street to form the RFU. So our early history is quite phenomenal, with many individuals and clubs helping with the formation of the national governing bodies of sport or helping to bring in new styles of competition, such as our status and credibility and influence in those early days. Very exciting times, but none of this would have happened, arguably, without Sir Warren Fisher, who was, at, without doubt, our saviour and our supporter in our first 20-odd years. He ensured that we had the support necessary from the civil service. He ensured that the funding was made available from within the civil service and maybe elsewhere in terms of anonymous donations. And he ensured that the movement, as we were known then, will continue successfully into later years. 
I hopefully, John, you found that interesting. As I say, my enthusiasm would allow me to go on and on and on, but hopefully that gives you an, an idea of the early years. How does that sound, John? Thank you, Headley. Um, it's truly a fascinating history of the CSSC, how we were founded, how we were um, supported by trailblazers and senior civil servants, perm secretaries, uh, and the strong links to royalty. Um, the strong links also with the formation and the influence that we had over uh, massive national governing bodies who are still in existence today. So, Edley Featherstone, CSSC Centenary Executive, for uh, thank you very much for your fascinating insight into the history of CSSC. I'm sure our members and volunteers will be really interested to hear and listen to that, that history. Thank you so much. For more stories from CSSC's past, please visit cssc.co.uk.